Well, we're in a series called Be Free, uh, a 10-week journey kind of looking at the Ten Commandments. And honestly, today, uh, the, the commandment is, you shall not murder. And it feels like I could sit down and we could leave, right? Like, is there much more to that? Right? It, it, I, I'm not going to, so if you're uh, thinking maybe we're done uh, early, um, we're, we're not. Um, but, but it kind of feels that way, right? I mean, I, I, how much more do you need? You shall not murder. But I just want you to know that there is so much more to this scripture uh, today and this commandment than, than simply not taking the life of another person. And so we're going to look at this on a deeper level. As we think through the commandments, um, that there's lots of reasons we're, we're going through this. We've talked about, and maybe you haven't been around, I would encourage you, our, our messenger online, maybe you want to go back and listen to week number one. Uh, I spent the whole time talking about the Ten Commandments and why God has given those to us. He gave them to originally a group of people who had been enslaved uh, for 400 plus years. All they knew were slavery. The stories of their parents, of their grandparents for generations was about being in bondage and being enslaved. And then God intervenes and rescues a group of people. And he brings them out of bondage. And the first thing he does is help them set up and establish a new nation, a new culture. And in doing that, God is going to say, hey, here's some really important things that you should put into place as you establish this new nation. And so we've looked at these each week, and and I want you to hear me say that it wasn't just about being set free. They were already free. This was about figuring out what it means to be free, to live as free people. And so for some of us, we've been set free. We know there's forgiveness, and we know that God loves us, but is there freedom in our lives? Are we living as free people? And so these commandments are not about earning God's love. It's not about earning salvation or to be in right standing with God. That happens through grace, through faith. Uh, But again, this is about, well, how do we live out what God has called us to? And so this week as we talk about murder, I'm I'm not concerned about the majority of you um, (laughs) breaking uh, this commandment in the way we originally would think about it. But, But I want you to know that most of us have probably broken this commandment this week. We've probably broken this one this week. And so when we read the Bible, we have to understand what God is saying to us. If we simply just kind of glance over it, if we don't dive deep into it, uh, we'll miss it. We'll miss what God has for us. We'll miss what Jesus is trying to tell us because we'll just kind of quickly move on. Uh, This last week, I was texting uh, a college student of ours and I was trying to get with him. I hadn't been with him in a while. And and so I was busy, and I, and I quickly pulled up his name, and I sent a text, hey, let's get together next week. It's been a while since we've talked, and so I, I sent it off. And then I get a, a text in response saying, man, that would be great. It's been a while since we've talked. I can call you next Tuesday if you're free. And I thought, call, call this person I was wanting to meet in person, and I realized I had texted the wrong person, yeah. Right? And so I don't know what you would do in that situation, but I just played it off. Yeah, it's going to be so good uh, to get back with you and uh, to, to talk on the phone. Uh, give me a call. And it, and it worked out. It was a great conversation with this person, right? But it, I was in such a hurry. I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention to the text, right? I, I didn't pay enough attention to what I was doing. And so I just today, I want us to understand that there's a lot more going on here than just the mandate, the commandment, not to take someone's physical life. And so I, I, 
there's so much. We could spend a couple of weeks literally talking about this. Uh, we could talk about what, what is he not saying when he says not to murder? Is he saying in self-defense? Right? We could talk about that for a while. We could talk about just war. Like, I'm not sure what that even means, honestly. Um, but we, we could spend a lot of time talking about war. Um, we could talk about murder when it comes to abortion. We could talk about it with the death penalty. And we could navigate that and what that looks like. We could spend a long time on this. But what I was really hoping would happen is you would take this personally. Right? Even in my mind as I thought about this, my, my, my title for this is Murder and You. Right? How, how are you doing when it comes to this commandment? How are you breaking this one? And it's interesting because Jesus directly confronts this one. He speaks directly about this commandment. We're going to look at that today. So if you don't own a Bible, there's a red Bible around you somewhere. That's our gift to you. Please take it. You can have that. If you have a smartphone or you want to pull it out and look at this scripture, if you want to na- take notes, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be in Matthew 5. This is going to be the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the main texts we have where Jesus seems to be preaching a message. And we're going to dive right into that. And we're going to look at what Jesus says before he talks about murder. Before he talks about murder, what is it that Jesus says? So Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Says this. Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Let me read it again. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so what what we see here is Jesus isn't going to, to lead these people in a direction that says, I know you've had the commandments, you don't have to worry about this anymore. Right? What Jesus, he's not coming to abolish or to do away with, but he's coming to fulfill them, to bring them to realization, to put them into practice correctly, right? And so I did a, a wedding last night. One of my favorite things I get to do is to perform weddings and to be a part of that, that moment and that, that ceremony. Last night, uh, it's always interesting to watch brides and grooms uh, the, the day before the wedding at rehearsal, the day of the wedding, you know, they're all laid back and the closer you get, the more stressed they become. And, and so I, yesterday, everything was going perfect and the bride and her father are walking down. It's an outside wedding and she comes and she stands and I send the groom off to meet the bride and the father and this giant, I'm not exaggerating, this aunt starts crawling up the bride's dress right? And I'm watching it and I look at the groom and the groom goes into action and he's like hitting at the, the bride's dress and, and getting it on. It was, it was brilliant, right? And, and everything's going well. And I realized afterwards that this young girl had a bee in her dress almost the whole time. And the, the bridesmaids are trying to figure out what do we, we do? And right. And so it's funny because when I, when I talk to the, these couples and we prepare for the ceremony, right? We, we, we spend a lot of time preparing for the ceremony and in it, they take these vows, if you're married, you took vows and you made these promises. And I always tell them they're not really about the words, right? Well, what's going to make your marriage successful or work is when you put into practice the vows, right? But as a couple, they're like, I agree, but I don't really know what that looks like because they've never been married, right? So fast forward, end of the night, as the, the dancing is, is happening, they, they call up all the married couples and all the married couples are dancing and they slowly begin to remove people depending on how long they've been married, so if you've been married 10 years, sit down, 15 years, sit down, 20 years, sit down, and they continue to go. And there's one couple, it was the grandparents of the bride, and you could tell they were older, 65 years that they had been married. And I was thinking about it. 
that this couple could sit with the, the granddaughter and her husband and say, look, I just want to tell you, I don't want to, I'm not going to change what you talked about today. I just want to show you what it looks like when they're fulfilled. Yeah. Right? 65 years that these people have put into practice what they said. Right? So Jesus isn't coming to say, I, I know what we told you. I know what God put into action hundreds of years ago, thousands of years. Look, I'm not coming to change that. I just want you to see what it looks like when you put it into practice. Right? So he says this, and then he immediately begins to talk about murder. Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he's saying, you've heard this for generations. Your parents have said this, their parents have said this, great-grandparents, you've heard this forever, do not murder. And when you do, you're going to be subject to judgment. And then verse 22, he says this, but I tell you, Right? This is where we want to pay direct attention and close attention to what Jesus is going to say. He's not going to change the law. He, he's not going to change what God put into action with the Ten Commandments, but he's going to say, this is what it looks like when we put it into practice. He's going to correlate a few things with murder. I'm going to read this, and then we'll pull a few things out. He says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment, Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakah, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. This week, and really the weeks moving forward, uh, Jesus is going to directly attack our hearts. Not just our actions. Jesus isn't just going to simply say, here's how you should live, but he's going to begin to say, what's going on inside of your heart? Right? Because we would be foolish to believe that God is just after a, an action from us. Just listen. If you think following Jesus is just about doing the right things or not doing the wrong things, then you've missed it. Jesus is going to attack our heart. He attacks some religious people. He went after them and called them whitewashed tombs. He basically said, look, on the outside, you look beautiful. Everything seemed righteous and good. But on the inside, you're full of dead, rotting flesh and bones. Jesus is just as concerned with what's going on internally as he is externally. And so we hear here, he's going to begin to deal with our heart, not just simply not taking someone's life, but, but what's going on internally. And so the first thing we see is that Jesus connects anger with murder. He connects anger with murder. Have you ever been so angry with someone, so angry with someone that you desire the other person to suffer? Let's be honest. You ever become so angry with someone that they, they said something to you or they did something and you, you just hope they get what's coming to them? Our desires show up when we're angry with someone, right? When you're angry, what are those desires that well up inside of you? So Jesus says, look, you've heard it said, if you murder, there's judgment. And then he goes right into it. He says, but I say, if you have anger against your brother, you are also subject to to judgment. He directly correlates these two things. And so what, what Jesus is saying, anger leads to things, right? Maybe anger leads to hate and, and hate leads to punishment to people. 
Hate is probably the thing that precedes murder. Right? So Jesus is going to go way back and say, look, we, we can't just deal with what's kind of the, the symptoms. We have to deal with the problem. Several years ago, I, I woke up one morning and, and had this knot on my face. Some of you who are around, probably eight years ago, seven years ago, you might remember this. Uh, but I had a, a sore on my face. It was like a small rock. And uh, I, I, I kind of put ice on it because it was, it was painful. And, and so it wasn't getting better and it was beginning to spread. And what had happened was, my wife, who was a nurse, had helped someone out and pulled stitches out of someone's hand. I then used those tweezers on my face, right? And, and an infection was introduced into my body, and I, I had staph infection. And my face, it was horrendous, just blew up and was huge. And I went to the doctor, and what they did is they cut it open, right? If you've ever had a really bad infection, the only way to deal with it is to cut it open and to pack it. Right? And what they're doing is they're, they've got to get all the infection out. It would have been pointless for me to go in and for him to say, well, just put a Band-Aid on it and just let it wait. Just wait for it to heal itself. Right? You have to get rid of the infection. And what I think Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look, we could talk about murder, but what precedes murder? Could it just so happen to be anger? Anger that we have towards other people. And see, anger becomes a problem when it's not just in the present, right? What happens is we begin to carry our anger with us into the future. And we, we know that anger is a problem all around us. We see people, whether you're driving, right? If you're driving and someone becomes angry with you or in your uh, workplace, at school, we, we see anger all around us online. And anger is a real problem issue and anger causes us to do things and say things we typically wouldn't do and say. So Jesus says when we do this, we're also subject to the judgment of God. Now see, anger is not the issue. And I spent a little bit of time a few weeks ago talking about this, but, but just let me say it again. Anger in itself is not the issue. Ephesians 4, a guy named Paul, who was a follower of Jesus after brutally uh, supporting the, the beating of Christians, he becomes one and he plants churches and he helps them out. And he says this, in your anger, do not sin. Some translations say, be angry, don't sin. Okay, so anger is not an issue. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And so it's not that we shouldn't be angry. We should be angry about some things. We should be angry about some things that anger the heart of God. When we see people who are oppressed or they're suffering or there's not justice, we should be angry about those things. But what do we do with our anger? What does our anger do to us when we carry it around? It becomes a, a foothold is what he says, this opportunity. We give the devil room in our hearts to, to do things. So anger, when it's unresolved, becomes sin. Anger that leads us to hate anybody is a sin. Anger that causes us to gossip with the hope of it hurting someone is a sin. Anger that produces in us a hope that others will fail is a sin. Anger that seeks revenge is a sin. Jesus is directly connecting these two, two things together. One, one writer said, anger becomes lethal when it becomes luggage. Right? Anger becomes lethal when it becomes luggage. Right? People hurt us and we, we store it away. Right? We, 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 we keep uh, an account of the wrongs that people have done to us. 
and, and we put it in luggage, and then what happens is we don't just store that somewhere. We, we literally begin to carry it with us. Right? And the, and the anger becomes luggage, and it is lethal, and we end up using it to hurt other people. It damages relationships. It gets in the way of loving others as Jesus has called us to do. So, so Paul's making it very clear. You can be angry, but in your anger, don't sin. When, when we carry it, when we don't deal with the anger in our lives, we give the enemy space in our lives. And we carry this luggage around and it, end up, it ends up not only harming us, but harming other people. This is anger that leads us to hate someone, their actions or their beliefs, what they're speaking about or what they're not speaking about. We, we, we begin to take our anger out on others, which leads us to hate, right? It just precedes one. Anger precedes hate, which precedes murder. Jesus is going way back to the heart. And then in 1 John 3.15, I read this last week, it says this, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Again, murder is much more than just taking someone's life. It begins with anger. And then Jesus is going to connect how we speak. He's going to connect how we speak about others to murder. Jesus says this. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakah, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone say that word this week? No, we're all free uh, and don't have to worry about it. Uh, he, here's this, this word, rakah, it actually means to see someone as inferior to you, to, to see someone as stupid or empty-headed, right? That changes some things now. That changes some things now, what we say to people or about people. Maybe you did that this week. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you didn't speak the words, but you felt that internally this week towards someone that you saw them as inferior to you, less than you. Whether it was at home with your spouse or your kids, at work with your boss, employers, towards those who maybe are protesting over the last eight or nine days. Maybe how you feel towards police officers. All of this fits into there. If we feel like anyone is inferior to us, that's what Jesus is saying. If you say the word rakah to someone, this is what you are doing. And then he says, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger in the fire of hell. Now here's where it gets really confusing because for us, fool carries kind of one connotation, but this would have meant something very different. Uh, He says, if you call someone stupid, you're answerable to the law. If you call someone inferior to you, but then he says, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of the judgment of God. Not fool as in dumb, but to curse them. To see someone as a fool is to have judgment towards them. That's what it would have meant when Jesus says, when you call someone a fool, you are taking the place of God and you're offering a curse or judgment towards someone else. And when we do this, when we do this, this is a reflection of us because we're arrogant, maybe we're hateful, or we're full of anger. So whether you say rakah or you say stupid, whether you see someone as inferior to you, if you're making judgments about someone, especially those who maybe we don't even know, what we're doing is we're seeing others as less than and not seeing them as someone who is created in the image of God. 
This is really, really important. This is really important as we, as we look at this, as, as Jesus talks about you dealing with murder in your heart. And I think what he's getting to is how do you see people? When we see others, do we see them as someone who is an image bearer of God? That when God created the first people, he put his handprint on them. And putting his handprint on them, he has put his handprint on you and me and every person we look at. And so when you judge someone, when you say raka to someone and see them as inferior, what you're saying is, I don't believe the image of God dwells in you. And so we have to understand that this is part of what it means to specifically, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus here today. It's this mandate that God has put on our lives to love him and to love others. And there's no definition of who the other is. Right? So the moment we have anger with someone and we don't deal with it, he's connecting that to murder. The moment we speak poorly about someone, he's connecting that also to murder. So sometimes we fail to recognize the image of God in other people. And when we read the scriptures, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the scriptures and, and I hear Jesus say this, and I hear Jesus correlate my words to someone with me taking someone's life, it feels kind of radical, does it not? Yeah. It's like, really, really, Jesus, are you really going to connect it? This seems radical, and it is. Yeah. It is completely radical. The teachings of Jesus are not safe. They're not always easy to put into practice. We don't even always understand them. But Jesus has said it. Jesus has said, you've heard it said, do not murder or you'll be subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry at your brother, if you use your words to hurt someone else, then you too are also in the lines of murder. So what do we do? What do we do? Right after this, Jesus makes another statement. Let's look at it again. Verse 23. He says this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, you deal with the problems that are going on in your life. He actually says, it's better for you to deal with those problems with the people in your lives than it is even to make an offering to him. Think about that. And we put such a huge emphasis on gathering in this place, which it is important. We shouldn't give up gathering together. But Jesus would say, look, if you've got something against someone, if they have something against you and you remember, go deal with it. And so what I think he's saying is forgiveness, forgiveness is the antidote to our anger. Forgiveness is the antidote to our anger. If we're going to deal with what's going on in our hearts as we think about our anger, as we think about the words we say, about another person, we have to begin with forgiveness. And he uses this word, be reconciled, right? And this is another word that is often used as forgiveness, but it also means to remove the tension. (laughs) I know some of you are like, man, if I deal with what's going on, there is going to be tension, right? But Jesus is saying, look, there's this opportunity when you forgive, when you actually have conversations about the problems in your life, the hurt that's been caused, the anger that has become luggage that you're carrying around, 
it'd be better for me just to take this to the person and say, hey, can we deal with this? Right? Can we, can we work on the luggage I've been carrying? Can we be reconciled? And it's not going to be comfortable, but dealing with this doesn't mean that you're not going to be uncomfortable. But what if? What if there's healing that comes? Right? This is the mandate that, that Jesus is giving, not me. Jesus is giving, and he talks about murder, and he, he talks about anger, and he talks about our words, and then he talks about being reconciled to one another. And so you, you might begin to think as we talk about forgiveness, man, if I forgive someone, does that mean that I'm excusing what they've done? Right? They're going to think that if I forgive them, that it's okay what happened, and that's not true. Forgiveness not only sets other people free, but, but those of us who have learned to forgive, we also understand that it sets us free. It sets us free. And so we forgive, but that doesn't mean that we move straight to trust. Right? We, we understand that, that forgiveness is much different than some of those other things. And then ultimately, the reason we do this is because God has done this for us. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you've experienced what it means to be reconciled to him, then our goal should be always being reconciled to one another. Right? We understand that while we were broken and we've made mistakes and we have hurt the heart of God, God makes the first move to us and allows us to be reconciled to him, to remove the tension between us and God. Listen to this scripture as we end. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. It says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The way you see people and the way you see things have completely changed because you're a follower of Jesus. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you are here today, And you've never known this. You've never known that God has made the first move towards you. That he is reconciling us back to him. That he is offering forgiveness to you and I. That he has made a way. Not that we have worked hard enough to get back to God. He is reconciling us back to him. Maybe you need that today. Maybe you didn't realize there's this free gift of grace that, that there's no special words you have to say, but an openness and a willingness to understand that God is saving us, that he is forgiving us, that he is setting us free, not just so we could uh, experience it just in the setting, right? Just being set free, but to really be free, we are reconciled back to God. And then he says, you, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, are Christ's ambassadors, as if God was speaking through you to implore other people to be reconciled to God and giving us the ministry of reconciliation with one another. So it's a lot more than just taking someone's life. Right? 99.999% of us 
are probably going to go through our lives and not take someone's life. But all of us are going to have moments where we're angry at someone. What do you do with that? All of us are going to feel this need or desire or want to speak poorly about someone who has hurt us. What will it take in your heart, in my heart, in our lives to understand this is breaking the commandment of God? What will it take for you and for me to see people as image bearers of God? So much so that we'll live free lives. We'll drop our luggage, the lethal luggage that so many of us carry around, and we'll begin to be reconciled to one another and we'll be reconciled to God. Well, Greg's going to come up and we're going to sing uh, this last song that we sing together, this declaration, this uh, benediction of this is what we want in our lives. As this happens, as you just prepare yourself for this, would you just take a moment and, and ask yourself the question, have I been reconciled back to God? Do, do I feel like I have acknowledged my brokenness and my sin and that in the midst of that, God has deeply loved me and brought me back into a right relationship with him? If not, hey, just spend a few moments working through that, asking God to forgive you, asking God to help you follow him and to be free. For many of us, we need to work through the hard questions of, do I have hate for someone? What, what do my words look like towards other people? Let me pray and we'll sing this together. God, thanks for today. Thank you for an opportunity to, to look deeper at what you would have for us. God, you have invited us to live free lives, to live lives abundantly, to live lives to the fullest. And so Lord, I pray against the enemy. I pray against the one who would speak words possibly to people right now that they don't need you that we don't need this reconciliation back to you, God. I pray against the enemy and I pray we all understand that we need reconciled back to you, God. God, would you help us to see people as image bearers of you, created in your image, even if they're not living like it, even if they don't even know it, but just this radical teaching, God, would you help us to put that into practice today? God, we declare that this is what we want for our lives and for our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us as we sing this?